Hi there! Welcome to a brand new episode of Stories That Made Us. This week, we recount the wonderful tale of the great Algonquian hero, Nana Bazoo. Keen listeners and old followers of the podcast would remember Nana Bazoo, for he played a grand role in the creation of the Anishinaabe world, helping the great spirit the Kichimanito to build our world and populate it with all beings, making everything the way we see it today. Check out episode 6 of the first series for that awesome tale. Now this episode continues with the tales of this great hero of the Native Americans of the Great Lakes. Anthropologists and scholars, those who studied the Anishinaabe Adizukan, the traditional storytellings, believe this hero to be a trickster spirit, a culture hero who features prominently in the traditional folklore of the many Native American tribes of this area, often appearing in the shape of a rabbit or a giant man, as is the case in this tale, he is a shapeshifter and is responsible for teaching mankind all the good things we know. This story is one of his many tales and has been taken from the book titled The Indian Fairy Book from the Original Legends by Henry Schoolcraft. Details of the book are in the show notes. So then, let's begin with our tale of Nana Bazoo, the great Algonquian hero. There was never in the whole world a more mischievous busybody than the notorious giant Nanabuzu. He was everywhere, in season and out of season, running about and putting his hand in whatever was going forward. To carry on his game, he could take almost any shape he pleased. He could be very foolish or very wise, very weak or very strong very poor or very rich, just as happened to suit his humour best. Whatever anyone else could do, he would attempt without a moment's reflection. He was a match for any man he met, and there were very few that could get the better of him. By turns, he would be very kind or very cruel, an animal or a bird, a man or a spirit. And yet, in spite of all these gifts, Nanabuzu was always getting himself involved in all sorts of troubles. And more than once, in the course of his busybody adventures, was this great maker of mischief driven to his wit's end to come off with his life. To begin at the beginning, Nanabuzu while yet a youngster, was living with his grandmother near the edge of a wide prairie. It was on this prairie that he first saw animals and birds of every kind. He also there made first acquaintance with thunder and lightning. He would sit by the hour, watching the clouds as they rolled, and musing on the shades of light and darkness as the day rose and fell. 
For a young man, Nanabazu was uncommonly observant. Every new sight he beheld in the heavens was a subject of remark. Every new animal or bird a subject of deep interest. And every sound that came from the bosom of nature was like a new lesson which he was expected to learn. He often trembled at what he heard and saw. His grandmother Noko sent Nanabuzu at an early age to observe the wide open prairie, and the first sound he heard there was that of an owl, at which he was greatly terrified. Quickly descending the tree he had climbed, he ran with alarm to the lodge. Noko, Noko, grandmother, he cried, I have heard an owl. The grandmother laughed at his fears and asked him what kind of noise the bird made. When he made the sound, his grandmother laughed and told him he was young and foolish, that what he heard was only a bird which derived its name from the peculiar noise it made. Nanabazu returned to the prairie and continued his watch. As he stood there looking at the clouds, he thought to himself, it is surprising that I am so simple, and that my grandmother is so wise. And come to think of it, why is it that I have neither a father nor mother? I have never heard a word about them. I must ask and find out. And so the young boy went home and sat down, silent and dejected. Finding that this did not attract the notice of his grandmother, he began a loud cry, whose volume he kept increasing, louder and louder, till it shook the lodge and nearly deafened the old grandmother. She, unable to control her annoyance, then snapped and said, Nanabuzi, what is the matter with you? You are making a great deal of noise. Nanabuzu started off again with his doleful hubbub, but succeeded in saying between his big sobs, I haven't got a father or a mother, have I? And set out again, lamenting more boisterously than ever. Knowing the young man was quick to temper, his grandmother dreaded to tell him the story of his parentage, as she knew he would make trouble of it. Nanabuzu renewed his cries and managed to throw out, for a third or a fourth time, his sorrowful lament that he was a poor unfortunate who had no parents and no relations. Finally, his grandmother caved in and said, Yes, yes, dear boy, you have a father and three living brothers. Your mother, however, is dead. She was taken for a wife by your father, the West Spirit, without the consent of her parents. Your brothers are North, East and South. And, them being older than you, your father has given them great power with the winds, according to their names. You are the youngest of his children. 
I have nursed you from your infancy, for your mother, owing to the ill-treatment of your father, died when you were born. I have no relations beside you. Your mother was my only child, and you, dear boy, are my only hope. I'm glad my father is living, then said Nanabuzu. I shall set out in the morning to visit him. His grandmother would have discouraged him, saying it was a long distance to the place where his father, Ningabium, or the West Spirit, lived. But this information seemed rather to please than to disconcert Nanabasu, for by this time he had grown to such a size and strength that he had been compelled to leave the narrow shelter of his grandmother's lodge and to live out of the doors. He was so tall that as he stood up, he could have snapped off the heads of the birds roosting in the topmost branches of the highest trees, without being at the trouble to climb. And if he had at any time taken a fancy to one of the same trees for a walking stick, he would have had to do no more than to pluck the tree up with his thumb and finger and strip down the leaves and the twigs with the palm of his hand. Bidding goodbye to his venerable old grandmother, who pulled a very long face over his departure, Nanabuzu set out to find his father, and he was able to stride from one side of the prairie to the other in a single step. After a while, our hero found his father on a high mountain ground, far in the west. His father spied his son's approach at a great distance and came down to give him the welcome that his son deserved. And side by side, apparently delighted with each other, they reached in two or three of their giant paces the Lodge of the West which stood high up near the clouds. There they spent some days talking with each other, for these two persons did nothing on a small scale, and the whole day was taken to deliver a single sentence, which was quite an ordinary affair to them. Such was the immensity of their discourse. Now one evening, Nanabuzu asked his father what he was most afraid of on earth. His father Ningbaun replied, Nothing. But there is nothing you dread here, nothing that would hurt you if you took too much of it, asked Nanabuzu. Come, tell me, I am but your son. Nanabuzu was very urgent in his pleadings. And at last his father relented and said, Yes, there is a black stone to be found a couple of hundred miles from here, over in that way, pointing as he spoke. It is the only earthly thing that I am afraid of, for if it should happen to hit me on any part of my body, it would hurt me very much. 
The West Spirit made this important circumstance known to Nanabazu in the strictest of confidence. Now, son, you will not tell anyone that the Blackstone is bad medicine for your father, will you? He added. You are a good son, and I know you will keep it to yourself. Now tell me, my darling boy, is there not something similar that you don't like? Nanabazu answered promptly, nothing. His father, who was of a very steady and persevering temper, put the same question to the young boy seventeen times. And each time Nanabazu made the same answer, nothing. But the West Spirit insisted, there must be something you are afraid of. Well, I will tell you, said Nanabazu, what it is. He made an effort to speak, but it seemed to be too much for the young boy. Out with it said Ningabiun the West, fetching Nanabuzu such a blow on the back that it shook the mountain with its echo. Gee, gee, it is, said Nanabuzu, apparently in great pain. Yo, yo, I cannot name it, I tremble so. The West told him to banish his fears and to speak up for no one would hurt the son of Ningabiun. Nanabuzu began again, and he would have gone over the same make-believe of anguish had not his father, whose strength, by the way, he knew was more than a match for his own, threatened to pitch him into a river about five miles off. At last, the young boy cried out, Father, since you will know, my nemesis is the root of the bulrush plant. Nanabuzu, he who could with perfect ease spin a sentence a whole day long, seemed to be exhausted by the effort of pronouncing that one word, bulrush. Sometime after, Nanabuzu observed, I will get some of the black rock that you so despise, father, but merely to see how it looks. Well, said the father, I then will also get a little of the bulrush root to learn how it tastes. They were both double dealing with each other and in their hearts getting ready for some desperate work. They had no sooner separated for the evening that Nanabazu was striding off a couple of hundred miles necessary to bring him to the place where the black rock was to be procured, while down the other side of the mountain hurried Ningabiun. At the break of day, they appeared at the great level of the mountaintop. Nanabazu with twenty loads at least of the blackstone on one side while on the other side stood Ningabiun with a whole meadow of bulrush in his arms. Nanabuzu was the first to strike, hurling a great piece of the black rock which struck the west directly between his eyes. 
the West returned the favor with a blow of bulrush that rung over the shoulder of Nanabazu, far and wide, like a whip-thong of the lightning among the clouds. And now, both rallied, and Nanabazu poured in a tempest of black rock, while Ningabiun discharged a shower of bulrush. Blow upon blow, thwack upon thwack, they fought hand to hand until Blackrock and Bulrush were all gone. Then they betook themselves to hurling crags at each other, cudgeling with huge oak trees and defying each other from one mountain top to another. At times they shot enormous boulders of granite across each other's heads, as though they had been mere jackstones. The battle which had commenced on the mountains had extended far west. The west spirit Ningabiun at length was forced to give ground. Nanabuzu pressing on drove him across rivers and mountains, ridges and lakes, till at last he got him to the very brink of the world, to the place where west resides till date. Hold! then cried the west. My son, you know my power, and although I allow that I am now fairly out of breath, it is impossible to kill me. Stop where you are, and I will also portion you out with as much power as your brothers. The four quarters of the globe are already occupied, but you can go and do a great deal of good to the people of the earth. They are beset with serpents, beasts, and monsters who make great havoc of human life. Go and do good, and if you put forth half the strength you have today, you will acquire a name that will last forever. When you have finished your work, I will provide a place for you. You will then go and sit with your brother Kabinoka in the north. Nanabuzu gave his father his hand upon his agreement, and parting from him, he returned to his own grounds, where he lay for some time, too sore of his wounds. At length, Nanabuzu journeyed back to his grandmother and was soon cured by her skill in medicine. Nanabuzu as big and steady as ever, was ripe for new adventures, for he had been given a new task, a task to do good, to help mankind. And this young hero immediately set his thoughts upon a war excursion against the Pearl Feather, a wicked old man who had killed his grandfather. Pearlfeather lived on the other side of the Great Lake, but that distance was nothing to Nanabazu. He began his preparations by making huge bows and arrows, but he had no heads for his shafts. At last, Noko, his grandmother, told him that an old man, whom she knew, could furnish him with such arrowheads as he needed. He then sent her to get some. She soon returned with her wrapper full of arrowheads. 
Nanabazu told her that he had not had enough and sent her again. Grandmother Noko came back with many more arrowheads. But Nanabazu was never satisfied. At length, he thought to himself, I must find out a way to make these arrowheads instead of relying on my grandmother and some old man. Instead of asking how arrowheads were made, he preferred, as it was just like Nanabazu, to deceive his grandmother and come at the knowledge he desired by a trick. Noko, grandmother, said he, while I take my drum and rattle and sing my war songs, please do go and try to get me some larger arrowheads, for these that you have brought me are all of the same size. Go and see whether the old man is not willing to make some a little larger. As she went, he followed at a distance, having left his drum at the lodge with a great bird tied at the top, whose fluttering should keep up the drumbeat the same as if he were tarrying at home. Eventually, he saw his grandmother enter into a hut, and in there he saw the old workman busy, and learned how he prepared the arrowheads. Now he also beheld the old man's daughter, who happened to be very beautiful. Nanabusu now discovered for the first time that he had a heart of his own, and the sigh he heaved, looking at the old man's daughter, passed through the arrow maker's lodge like a gale of wind. How it blows, said the old man. It must be from the south, said the daughter for it is so very fragrant. Nanabuzu slipped away, and in two strides he was back home, shouting forth his songs as though he had never left the lodge. He just had time enough to free the bird which had been beating the drum, when his grandmother came in and delivered to him the big arrowheads. In the evening, the grandmother said, My son, you ought to fast before you go to war, as your brothers do, to find out whether you will be successful or not. Nanabuzu said he had no objection, and privately stowed away in a shady place in the forest at least two or three dozen juicy bears, a moose, and twenty strings of the tenderest chicken. The place of his fast had been chosen by Nerko, and she had told him it must be so far as to be beyond the sound of her voice, or it would be unlucky. So Nanabuzu would retire from the lodge so far as to be entirely out of the view of his grandmother, and there he would enjoy himself heartily, so much so that by nightfall, Having just dispatched a dozen birds and half a bear or so, he would return, tottering and woebegone, as if he were quite famished, so as to move deeply the sympathies of his wild old grandmother. But after a time, Nanabuzu, who was always spying out mischief, said to himself, 
I must find out why my grandmother is so anxious to have me fast at this point. The next day he went but a short distance. She cried out, a little far off. But he came nearer to the lodge, and the rogue that he was, he cried out in a low, counterfeited voice, to make it appear as though he was going away instead of approaching. He had now come so near that he could see all that passed in his grandmother's lodge. He had not been long in ambush when an old magician crept into the lodge. This old magician had very long hair which hung across his shoulders and down his back like a bush or a footmat. Noko welcomed him kindly and they commenced talking earnestly. In doing so, they put their two old heads so very close together that Nanabazu was satisfied they were kissing each other. He was indignant that anyone should take such a liberty with his venerable grandmother. And to mark his sense of the outrage, he touched the bushy hair of the old magician with a live coal, which he had blown upon. The old magician felt the flame of the fire on the coal, and he jumped out into the air, making his hair burn only the fiercer, and ran, blazing like a fireball across the prairie. Nanabazu, who had, meanwhile, stolen off to his fasting place, cried out in a heartbroken tone as if he were on the very point of starvation. Noko, Noko, is it time for me to come home? Yes, she cried, and when he came in she asked him, Did you see anything? Nothing, he answered with an air of childish candor, looking as much like a big simpleton as he could. The grandmother looked at him very closely and said no more. Nanabazu finished his term of fasting, in the course of which he slyly dispatched twenty fat bears, six dozen birds, and two fine moose. Then he sang his war song and embarked in his canoe, fully prepared for war. Besides weapons of battle, he had stowed in a large supply of oil. He travelled rapidly night and day, for he had only to will or speak, and the canoe went wherever he willed. At length, he arrived at a place guarded by many fierce serpents. Nanabazu paused to view them, observing that they were some distance apart, and that the flames which they constantly belched forth from their serpentine heads reached across the pass. He gave them a good morning and began talking with the serpents in a friendly way. But the snakes answered, We know you, Nanabuzu, and you cannot pass. He was, however, not to be put off so easily. Turning his canoe as if about to go back, he suddenly cried out with a loud and terrified voice, What is that behind you? The serpents, 
thrown off their guards instantly turned their heads, and he guided past them in a moment. Well, he said quietly after he had caught by, how do you like my swift movements? He then took up his bow and arrows, and with a deliberate aim shot every one of the serpents, easily, for the snakes were fixed to one spot and could not even turn around. They were of enormous length and bright colour. Having thus escaped the sentinel serpents, Nanabuzu pushed on in his canoe until he came to a part of the lake called Pitchwater as whatever touched it was sure to stick fast. But Nanabuzu was prepared with his oil, and rubbing his canoe freely from end to end, he slipped through with ease. He became the first person who had ever succeeded in passing through the pitch water. There is nothing like a little oil to help one through pitch water said Nanabuzu to himself. Now, in view of land, he could see the lodge of Pearl Feather high upon a distant hill. Putting his clubs and arrows in order, Nanabuzu began his attack, yelling and shouting, hitting his drum and calling out in triple voices. Surround him! Surround him! Run up! Run up! making it appear as though he had many followers. He advanced, shouting aloud, It was you that killed my grandfather, and shot off a whole forest of arrows. The pearl feather appeared on the height, blazing like the sun, and paid back the discharges of Manabazu with a tempest of bolts, which ran like the hail. All day long the fight was kept up, and Nanabuzu had fired all of his arrows but three, without effect, for Pearl Feather was clothed in pure and beautiful wampum. It was only by immense leaps to the right and left that Nanabuzu could save his own head from the sturdy blows which fell about him on every side, like pine trees, from the hands of his enemy. He was badly bruised, and at his very wit's end, when a large woodpecker flew past and sat on a tree. It was a bird he had known on the prairie near his grandmother's lodge. Nanabuzu, called out the woodpecker, your enemy has a weak point. Shoot at the lock of hair on the crown of his head. And so, Nanabuzu shot his first arrow as directed by the woodpecker, but only drew blood in a few drops. Pearl Feather made one or two unsteady steps, but then recovered himself. He began to parley, but Nanabuzu, knowing that he had discovered a way to kill him, was in no humour to trifle, and let slip another arrow, which brought the shining spirit to his knees. And now, Having the crown of Pearl Feather's head within good reach, Nanabuzu sent in his third arrow, which laid Pearl Feather out upon the ground, stark dead. Nanabuzu lifted up a huge war cry, beat his drum, and took the scalp of Pearl Feather as his trophy.
then calling the woodpecker to come and receive a reward for the timely hint he had given him, he rubbed the blood of pearl feather on the woodpecker's head, the feathers of which are red to this day. Full of his victory, Nanabuzu returned home, beating his war drum furiously and shouting aloud his songs of triumph. His grandmother was on the shore, ready to welcome him with the war dance, which she performed with wonderful skill for one so advanced in years. The heart of Nanabuzu swelled within him. He was fairly on fire and an unconquerable desire for further adventures seized upon him. He had destroyed the powerful Pearl Feather, killed his serpents and escaped all the wiles and charms. He had prevailed in a great land fight and so vowed that his next trophy would be from the water. This bit of the story is all we have time for in this episode. Join us next week as we continue with the tale of Nanabuzu, the great Anishinaabe hero. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating the podcast. It hardly takes any time and helps us out immensely. Also, don't forget to share the episode with your friends and family. But that is only after you've subscribed to us. Join us on Twitter and Instagram by following the handle at stories THT MDE US. That's at stories THT MDE US. Details of our social media footprints are all in the show notes. That's all I've got to tell this week. So until we meet again next week, goodbye.